Welcome to Podcast with Cooper Cherry. Uh, this evening I have Gary Cooper joining me. Gary's an old friend of mine. Uh, we were college mates at Texas State University, and Gary is currently a photojournalist um, for an undisclosed news station, <laughs> we'll say. Uh, so Gary, thanks so much for taking this time out of your evening to join me for the podcast. Oh, the pleasure and honor is all mine, and I apologize we couldn't get this done sooner, but it's been one uh, sucker punch, if you will, after another ever f for the last two weeks. But no, no, I'm glad. Uh, thank you for having me. This is awesome. Absolutely, man. Uh, you're you're a legit. I'll call you a. I should call you a newsman rather than just a journalist. You're you're a goddamn newsman. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> do you have? Uh, do you you know? Do you have a in your wardrobe? One of the, uh, like a fedora with like a, a ticket in it, your press pass in there. I actually have two fedoras. Uh, I've yet to put it, the little uh, ticket, or is that, what, is that what it's called, the ticket? I'm, I, I'm I, not I even sure. Don't know. I don't know what, you, but you, you know what I'm talking about. They usually have it like in the ribbon of the hat. Yeah, like from the old uh, 20s and 30s yeah. and 40s and whatnot. And, you know, they, they spoke like this, you see? Oh, this is Gary Cooper reporting live. I'm Charles. Stop Lockhart, the presses, Virginia. you see? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I do have a collection of fedoras, but one of these days I'm gonna I'm gonna put a sticker in there and wear it to work on uh, whenever there's a busy day. <laughs> nice. Um, let's see what else. I also, you know, I always ask, find myself asking, whatever happened to Gary Cooper? <laughs> that's <laughs> well, a, right now. That's a frequent you're... existential question that's always on my mind. <laughs> uh, well, uh, he's in North Carolina at the moment. Uh, Living in Durham, North Carolina, the home uh, of Duke University. The home of Duke University. Jeez, oh, uh, Durham's wonderful. It's um, it's gone through quite a renaissance in the last ten years. For those who don't know, uh, in layman's terms, Durham was uh, the is considered the Black Wall Street, if you will. When long story short, when the slaves were freed, uh, Durham was one of the first cities in America where the uh, where the black entrepreneur could do business, and that's how really that's how Durham started to take off. Interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, Durham's wonderful. I highly recommend it. Great little uh, locally owned uh, coffee shops and bistros and things like that. So cool nice. place to visit. You know what's funny is my brother actually just moved to Durham. I think last weekend or the week before. So I'm gonna have to put you guys in contact. No way. Yeah, uh, my brother is actually, so he's living there with his girlfriend, and he is doing a program with Full Sail, un or Full Sail. Uh -huh. He's doing like a game development program. Okay. But he's definitely somebody who is interested in video, film, you know, visual storytelling. Yeah, I'd, lo I'd love to meet up with this cat. Right on. All right. I'll, uh, yeah, afterwards, I'll definitely get his contact information to you. But let's uh let's go ahead and get into the meat of the podcast and absolutely Gary, why don't you just orient us a little bit in terms of you know where you grew up and sort of how you got into journalism? Perhaps I'm sure I grew up uh, oh, such a such a loaded question. I'll keep it short uh, short as I can. I grew up in the border town of Del Rio, Texas, just a stone's throw away from Mexico. I mean. You could see the uh, mountains of uh, northern Mexico from my house. You could see the Rio Grande from my high school parking lot. 90-95% uh, Hispanic. A wonderful place to grow up. It wasn't really diverse, but that was kind of a blessing in disguise. And uh, Growing up, we didn't have a lot to do, so we watched a lot of TV. <laughs> and uh, my father was uh, a fan, for lack of a better term of the CBS affiliate in San Antonio, which was always piped into Del Rio. Okay. And so we would spend many uh, evenings watching the local news. Uh, super long story short, I decided, you know what, that seems like something that could be fun that I'd like to do. And so I pursued that as a career, and it's been never boring, <laughs> to say the least. It's been an interesting ride so far. Nice. So it's been a long time since we've really talked in terms of politics, so uh -huh. where does where does the two thousand and sixteen election place you now? Like, kind of orient us where you are politically. Uh, <laughs> I would say, honest, honest to God, I would say before, prior to twenty sixteen, 
I would say I was almost complacent with things. I never really, I mean, I would keep up with politics, but I never really had like a vested interest in them. Mm-hmm. Um, I was more concerned with the local and state level. Okay. Because uh, there's, I always felt that there was more accountability with your local and state politicians, and anything that they do has a more has more of a direct impact in our daily lives than than a, than at the federal level. But uh, 2016, I would say that kind of upended that way of thinking, and um, I've never been more vested in okay. politics yeah, since since the 2016 election. Are are you willing to though admit like do you lean more conservative, liberal, left wing like kind of where do you fall on on the spectrum so to speak? Definitely left of center. Okay. Uh, not all the way left. Uh, I don't know what all the way left would it be, but uh, with uh, but definitely left of center. At the risk of sounding like every other you know schmuck, uh, you know it just depends on the topic and the issue, my friend. <laughs> right on. But for the most part, I would say personally, I'm left of the center. Okay, gotcha. So just to kind of orient you where I am, I think I've always been somewhat radical in terms of my politics, but I don't think I really had the um, a mature understanding of sort of critiques of capitalism. Yeah, and you know what? That that that's a perfect way of saying you know another uh, wonderful side effect since 2016. I don't think a lot of people had. Uh, that much enlightenment because I, I dare I say we kind of took it for granted until we start seeing it erode. Right. And you know, I don't want to, I don't want to give anyone credit, but I, it's on, on the plus side, it's good to see so many people engaged, um, in politics and policy. Right. So there you go. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, my understanding and my critiques of capitalism have become far more mature and I've read a lot more about, you know, sort of Marxist critiques and Mm -hmm. delved into, you know, anarchism on, on the left side Mm -hmm. of the spectrum. And Mm -hmm. I kind of situate myself as sort of, I would say perhaps like a left libertarian is a good, good way to describe it. Oh, I like that. Oh, that. Okay. Okay. So, you know, recognizing the fact that yes, there, there's a hierarchy in terms of, government and you don't want a really oppressive central government Mm -hmm. you know making all the decisions for everyone and Mm -hmm. you know just oppressing the population and kind of making them do as you know like a totalitarian sort of regime it's funny you mentioned that because when i first moved to north carolina um all the societal ills that you see on on the news and whatnot you're you're kind of sheltered from them in South and Southwest Texas, because uh, you grow up with one class of people and you only deal with one class of people. Out here, it's truly diverse, and to see a systemic oppression uh, actually implemented is uh, frightening. How easily it it can it can take place. That has been eye opening ever since I moved to the east to the uh, East Coast. Yeah, I'd like to delve into that more. I I wanted to get to a point of like pointing out sort of that, you know, it's kind of, my position is I recognize both the oppressive nature of a super centralized government where, you know, there's, you know, let's say there's a vanguard movement or there's a vanguard party, for example. Yeah, I recognize the potential for that sort of oppression, but I also think that markets can be just as oppressive, right? Because capital is going to flow into fewer and fewer hands. Those hands wind up, you know, basically getting what we have now in terms of an oligarchy where the decision makers can be bought and sold essentially, you know, it's maybe not directly, but you know what I mean? There's sort of a ruling class of elites that are making the decisions for all of us. And agreed. Agreed. Um, it's, it's not the most democratic process, whether it be, you know, a USSR style government or, you know, a totally laissez faire capitalist Mm-hmm. I would agree. I think even former President Jimmy Carter, uh, I can't remember what publication exactly, but he did say that, you know, as the years go by, we're turning more into uh, more and more into an oligarchy of sorts where the rich ruling class are having more and more say and more influence in policy and decision making. And that's dangerous, to say the least. Wealth is, is power. It's time. Mm-hmm. Definitely advantageous for folks like Jeff Bezos and 
you know, Koch the brothers, Gates, and... the Koch brothers, you know, the untold millionaires that are out there, the the Putins and so forth that you know don't get reported in the Fortune five hundred or whatever, not Fortune five hundred, but whatever the list is. I hear you, you know, man. I hear you. But uh, what one kind of area that you know I'll throw out this for you to think about is so, like I said, I've always had sort of a natural natural inclination that something is wrong with our sort of capitalist system in the sense of you know probably the most oppressive relationship that you deal with day to day is you know it's not your state government it's not your local government it's not even the federal government it's your workplace right you know workplaces are hierarchical they're authoritarian they kind of control you know what happens where you where you can be when you can leave how much you're paid, and that relationship is so skewed in terms of the bargaining power that you as a laborer have against a corporation, you know what I mean? You're, you're sort of limited in terms of, you know, geography, perhaps, whereas capital can flow across borders, it can flow across time zone, it can flow across the world, and you can recruit labor from all across the globe, whereas, you know, you as the individual worker, you don't have, it's not on equal footing, you know what I mean? There's no fair way to bargain. And so mm. I think that, you know, mm -hmm. my understanding of socialism, for example, is democratizing the workplace and extending the, the democracy that we supposedly have in our civic life to our workplace as well. And I think that's a really emancipatory pro project and would curb a lot of the, you know, excesses of capital that you see in today's world. The problem is how would you, how would you implement something like that, and how would you enforce that, you know? Right. And and going back to you know how the rich keep getting richer and the poor stay poor. You know, it's not an overnight thing, but I do think that things like um, I don't want to say the Me Too movement, but you know. Since 2016, there's been a lot of attention drawn and movement toward injustices right. that, that have been systemic. And, and I think that there will be some good that comes from that. Uh, I think we're still, you know, hashing it out. Right. Um, but I definitely see your point. I just don't know how it can be implemented. Uh, yeah, I just don't see how it could be implemented right now, but... You know, tomorrow's another day. Right. Well, to be honest, I mean, my prospects for the future, I'm, I'm definitely in the pessimistic camp that the, the situation is to the point where we're sort of, we're on a runaway train that has already, we've already like fallen off the tracks and we're still just gliding on so much inertia that we haven't, and we haven't even realized that we've got to turn off, turn the train around. You know what I mean? We're still sailing on like there's still track, but we've already run out of tracks, and it's just a matter of time before we sort of crash into the valley. I, I don't want to agree with you, but I'm finding myself not agreeing with you. Um, I, I, I think a change is a coming, um, and I think it'll be sooner rather than later, but I just I don't know how drastic that change will be, but I do think you're right. Yeah, um, I, I mean, climate change, for one, is going to be... I don't know how long you've been in North Carolina, but, I mean, it's here in Central Texas and Austin. It's getting to be 107 degrees, 108 degrees for highs. I have, you know, I've grown up in this area 30-plus years. I've never mm -hmm. seen it get to these temperatures. Granted, oh. obviously, that's a small, you know, that's anecdotal. But still, you know, combined with the reports that I hear in terms, you know, from climate science... And so forth, and the projections—it's—it's it's startling evidence. Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, these summers—they just sting a little bit more. I don't remember them being so painful um, to be out in the sun. You know, I think slash hope that something larger than Harvey—sorry to say—is uh, going to happen that can finally spur some change. I mean, I hope that doesn't happen, but I think that's what's going to ultimately happen to finally trigger. That'll be a catalyst for something to happen. Right. I think when it comes to climate change, that's the difficulty is it's 
you know, it's a lot more complex of an issue than I had even ever realized. Yes. Actually, I've ha had a couple of climate scientists actually on the podcast. And what's interesting is, you know, when it comes to things like sea level rise, mm -hmm. so you can have uplift and different geological processes occur that can have a local impact. Like, let's say, you know, locally in some particular area, the sea level can rise five feet. That doesn't mean that that doesn't necessarily translate directly to a climate change scenario. I mean, it does ultimately, but not in the way you would think it would. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? That's, mm -hmm. it can, you, know, you can have localized variations that are just results of natural geologic processes that were already in place, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a difficult thing to measure. It's even more difficult when you have people who denounce, you know, concrete science that's, you know, that say this is happening. It's even more difficult when you have other media outlets that, you know, say that it's false. Uh, when you have leaders who say it's a, a hoax. A maybe, Chinese hoax, right? A Chinese hoax, right? <laughs> to thwart uh, uh, growth and investment. And it's even worse when people subscribe to that uh, gospel. I don't know. That, I mean, for years we grew up knowing about greenhouse gases, then all of a sudden, it just see, it felt like there was a switch that was like, no, this is not true. Uh, you're using big words, I don't understand it, therefore I don't believe it. Right. And it's aggravating, to say the least. Yeah, I'll, so I'll describe, so I can materialist look at how, how history impacts, you know, our current way of life, for example. Mm -hmm. And so, the reason I'm pessimistic is that we need you know a lot of fundamental changes to the very base structure of our society that are going to have to be implemented and i just don't see there being enough political consensus you know even at the you know perhaps at the local level maybe the state level but you know a nation like the united states and then extrapolating that to you know cooperation between governments and so forth uh -huh. it's like we're so far from any type of cooperative scenario that mm -hmm. I just feel ultimately the shit's going to have to hit the fan and people are going to be, you know, it's going to be a situation where the material conditions on the ground are going to force change versus mm -hmm. us being able to, you know, unite necessarily and create some type of larger social movement that's going to be a global type of movement. You know, it's just going to take something drastic as you know, we delve further and further into this progression of climate change, for example, before things really, you know, there's any sort of pressure to change because, you know, especially in America, we're so comfortable in terms of our lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And you know, day, to day, day to day, it's like, I don't know, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's hot in the summer, but it's, there's nothing crazy going on in my sort of local world. There's, you know, things are pretty stable. I have a job, you know, you don't see a lot of poverty. Of course, I'm isolated in, you know, sort of a place like Austin is not the best projection of how things are going, you know, throughout the country mm -hmm. or even, you know, the state of Texas for that matter with all the economic mm -hmm. growth that we've had. I, I hope something happens. Nothing cataclysmic, but something does need to happen. And on the other hand, I do think that some things are happening. Um, you know, we're going to segue into Charlottesville. Like, I saw a lot of people engaged in wanting change. Um, even though some of the protesters were not happy with me, you know, they wanted change. You know, you got to give them that. It's just interesting to see what's going to happen in these next few years. Getting into Charlottesville, it's funny, there was a, um, there was a Unite the Right rally here in Austin at the Capitol steps and something like, I don't know, 15 to 20 people showed up. <laughs> and there, there was a much larger contingent, contingent of uh, counter-protesters on the other side. <laughs> there was uh, members of the Austin DSA. There was also Ant Antifa showed up. Uh -huh. And also uh, Antifa which is A-U-N-T-I-E-F-A. Oh, okay. The anti-fascists. <laughs> uh, 
I can't say I'm familiar with anti-fascist. Please <laughs> enlighten me. I don't know. I just it's uh, some some ladies, some nice ladies that have decided to, I guess, create their little organization. I don't know a lot about it. I just actually happen to have a guy I know here in Austin, AJ Norton. He does a podcast called Psychological Warfare. Mm-hmm. And I had him on the podcast Saturday. We've done three or four episodes together, but he's pretty active. He's a member of the Austin GSA. And mm-hmm. he, he went out to the protest and he supposedly was interviewed by, I don't know if it was the Austin Chronicle or the Statesman. Mm-hmm. I couldn't dig up the article, but he was telling me about it on, on the podcast the other day. So there was only about a dozen or so Unite the Right members, correct? Yeah, something like that. One And specifically, one guy was wearing a Pinochet was right shirt. <sighs> All right. That, that was kind of the highlight of, uh, of what you saw there. <laughs> you know, well, frankly, just speaking, there's a case to be made for these anti-right protesters. Uh, a year ago, these white supremacists and Nazi fascists, they seemed emboldened, um, especially since Charlottesville. But I would frankly give a little credit to the alt-lefters, if you will, we, we, we don't like that term on this podcast, Gary. Oh, my apologies. <laughs> <laughs> my, my apologies. Um, That's fake news, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, recently at their second attempt uh, in D.C., a lot of them said that, you know they were just too scared to come because they were afraid of the violence. And, well, that's what y'all get, you know, for believing what y'all believe. I mean... So the, the, uh, to me, there's a case that could be said that, you know, that, that the uh, Antifa tactics uh, do work, in a sense, yeah. to, uh, to stamp out the hate. Okay. Me personally... Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> no, me personally, um, when I was in Charlottesville, I was just there to cover as much as I could, the good, the bad, uh, all sides, and cover it in a very short window of time because we're always on a tight deadline. Right. The one thing I, 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 I believe I told you before, you know, we, we started recording in our conversations leading up to this, the day before the one year anniversary, everyone, um, was very welcoming to us. They were very open. They were very, you know, they wanted to get their message out. They were protesting anything and everything under the sun, but they were very engaging with media. And then the next day it was like a night and day switch and started to get a little rough for lack of a better term and I couldn't and I couldn't quite understand why especially it was when it was some of the same people who were very warm and welcoming the day before but when you know personally when I'm in a situation like that you know don't don't touch my gear because <laughs> then I get a little irked for right. lack of a better term yeah I did notice that you had posted something on your Instagram where they kind of looks like they were trying to grab your your camera or something? Yeah, uh, I have a the I have a device. It's it's in a backpack, and what it does, it transmits a a live signal. It replaces those big, lunky, smelly live trucks, and so it obviously makes us more nimble and more mobile. And I believe uh, one or two tried to sever the uh, the audio and video cord from the camera to that backpack. They didn't have quite much luck with the video cord, but they uh, they cut my audio cord, which you know. Which is relatively easy to do. Yeah. When, but um, uh, it was interesting. The TV producer inside of me was happy to see such great video. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say this about Charlottesville: the despite all the ruckus, I did see a lot of uh, positive reinforcement. A lot of uh, I don't want to sound like a Hallmark card, but like I did see a lot of love, a lot of support. You know. And that leaves me somewhat optimistic, but I think it's going to get a little bit worse before it gets better. And just to orient people too, because you're not the smallest, you're not a small, frail guy. You're what, 6'2", probably? Why, thank you. 200 pounds, maybe? Uh, 6'3", 285. Okay, well, you're you're a little bit bigger than I even remember. Pudgy, but yet athletic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they uh, get a little, you know, some shoving, some grabbing couple of threats. Uh, I like to think my, my time working in San Antonio uh, when we would do perp walks kind of 
trained me for that, I guess. Okay. So I I think it's pretty interesting, or I don't know, it's maybe perhaps alarming in another sense that these types of confrontations are occurring. I mean, to me, that's something that I don't recall seeing growing up. Maybe I'm just more attuned to it now. I would, maybe I things, would re- are, things are more visible with social media, but, you know, I think, you know, there was like the World, Tr- World Trade Organization protests in the late mm-hmm. 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, but like a mass, you know, obviously the riots in Los Angeles in the early 90s after the the Rodney King mm-hmm. verdict was handed down. You know, those are mm-hmm. some of the big standout civil I, kind of breakdown, not breakdown, but civil sort of situations <sighs> that arose. I would respectfully disagree. Okay. I think history is our greatest teacher for the last 150 some odd years. You know, politicians and their supporters have always flung around terms like, you know, you filthy socialists or you greedy capitalists. Th- those terms have always been flung at each other. The difference now is everyone has an HD camera in their pocket and we're all connected on say on the same platforms as opposed to just maybe 20 30 years ago we still only had we only had TV. Right. Um so connecting to with one another is far more instantaneous and happens at the push of a button. Right. And I talked to a lot of I don't want to say I talk to a lot of, but every chance I get, I talk to a quote-unquote old-timer. <laughs> and they seem to draw some comparisons from the summer of 68, 69, okay. summer of love. And there are a lot of parallels. This current, uh, our current situation does seem a bit more raunchy and gritty compared to that, compared to back then. But I, w- I would argue that the, uh, the populace has always been like this. I just think now we're more tired of it and we're better at documenting it. Yeah, and there's more just just due to the social media, there's more it's more prevalent. Everybody's more aware of what's going on. Whereas yes. like yeah, we're like, you know, 20 years ago we might not have heard about Charlottesville. It might have been in the newspaper, but it wouldn't have been all over, you know, your Twitter feed, your Facebook feed, correct. Reddit, you know, whatever. Pick your pick your poison there. Correct, correct. And the, and the amount of alternative media that there is, too. You know, you have all the Alex Jones, the, all the right-wing and intellectual dark web guys, and also the left-wing, uh-huh. the, 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 center, the centrist, the leftist. You know, there's a big alt-media presence now that just wasn't the case years ago. Mm-hmm, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I would even venture to think that uh, the uh, in regards to media... I think print is probably going to go through a renaissance. Um, frankly, video, as much as I love working with video, it kind of just dumbs the audience a little bit. It doesn't have the same impact as a well-written article. And I think people get more riled up over a well-written article overall than a uh, sexy little piece of video. Well, do you think it depends on, okay, let's say... I think there is a difference between, you know, a well-written think piece or something like that, and the same thing, like, it doesn't translate that well to to the sort of YouTube clip phenomenon, or, you know what I mean, when you have people on CNN or MSNBC or whatever the case is, you know, they may have a panel, and they're just looking for, you know, a quick soundbite, a quick little, you know, it's not like you're going to have a long-form conversation, and I think Side that's... Note. That's what the benefit of podcasts are that, you know, Uh these are long-form conversations. Correct. Way more in-depth. Exactly. Less, uh, more substance. And, you know, between you and me, um, man, I hate panelists. Doesn't matter if it's CNN or Fox or whatnot. That's, to me, that's not, that doesn't do, that, that does no good to the viewer. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of people just squawking their opinions. And talking um, over one another and all that. Exactly. That, that to me that does absolutely no good, and that would be my number one complaint with uh, with the quote unquote mainstream media. I wanted to talk about in Portland a few weeks ago. There was some counter protesters, and I guess mm-hmm. some. I don't know if it was a similar unite the right rally or whatever the case was, but there was a guy that was shot in the head with. 
I don't know if it was a, ma a can of mace or some type of thing was like he was wearing a bicycle helmet for protection uh -huh. and he had this canister lodged in the helmet he ended up you know ended up injuring his skull he had to go to the emergency room I don't think it was fatal but you know obviously a, a, a law enforcement official shot it at him I mean I don't think that's a mistake necessarily but maybe I'm maybe trying. I'm projecting too much in terms of no I don't I don't think you're projecting at all I think you I think that's pretty accurate I'm trying to remember it myself but um, I remember the guy was pretty bloody after yeah. the fact but just um, seeing that type of stuff I mean that's that's alarming I think or illustrative of where we are mm -hmm. in society at this point um, to me it's a double-edged sword it's grotesque but I mean people need to see it and that's the wonder of social media people can see it you know quickly uh, you can share it to the masses in an instant and um, that can help mobilize people you know again that's the double-edged sword of social media and so whenever you're on the ground there in Charlottesville were you ever concerned for your physical safety or did you like wear any type of protective gear uh at the risk of sounding arrogant I took my chances on in Charlottesville Everything that was going on was in about maybe a 100-yard radius. No, that's too much. Maybe about 75-yard radius, if you will. There was about 100, 150 uh, state police officers there, some who I you know, had, had met the day before. We, we got to know each other. We were on first-name basis. If any activists were going to do anything to me, at minimum, it would be documented, and it would be... Uh, quickly responded to for lack of a better term right i did not wear protective gear um i we didn't think we would need it so i kind of took my chances with the crowd well of course you get you gary fucking cooper high noon style just walking about <laughs> placing yourself right in the at the tip of the spear man i mean one of the one of the things one of the cardinal one of the things i learned early in photojournalism is that you know don't ever zoom in uh, zoom with your feet, you know? <laughs> nice. Yeah, so like that. that, yeah, zoom with your feet, that, that'll always get you a better shot, that'll always get you a better picture. And I did just that. <laughs> um, it, it was an adrenaline rush. Um, yeah, there was another photographer. I don't know who this photographer was, but he was on the receiving end of some spit. And some state police officers saw that, and they made some arrests. But as far as I as far as I was concerned, I I only got some shoving and some some verbal threats and things like that. Orient us as far as the crowds were concerned. Like, can you sort of give us an estimate or perhaps some legit numbers on what the crowds were like? <sighs> hundred to one hundred fifty state police officers, very well armed, decked out in Ryan gear, right gear. They had their mini tanks there. Oh, wow. I'd say about. At its peak, about 200 activists who were there. Uh, the climax, if you will, was when Heather Heyer's mother arrived. That's when there was the most concentration of people. Not a single uh, white supremacist showed their faces. Not, we didn't see not a one. Really? Interesting. Not what? a one in Charlottesville. Was we it? had heard rumors that they were gathering. Uh, the day before, there was a uh, I guess a credible rumor, for lack of a better term, that kind of riled up uh, law enforcement. We had one law enforcement officer tell us, you know, get ready. They'll be here in about 15 or 20 minutes. And before we knew it, there was uh, there was about two choppers hovering uh, downtown Charlottesville. And you could see state, uh, some of the police officers put on their riot gear. But I guess uh, at the last minute, these quote-unquote white supremacists dispersed. They never bothered to show up. And that was about as close to any white supremacists we saw in Charlottesville. But there, was there any sort of presence at all on, I guess, the, we'll loosely say the right or whatever? None that I could see. Interesting. So None that I could see. None that I could see at all, my friend. Um, not a one. Um, the day before uh, was, a, was a very ruckus march from UVA to one of their open uh, 
I guess it's a rotunda. Um, there was a lot of singing and chanting, and that was that was kind of cool to see so many uh, college students and young adults, you know, come together uh, and march as one. I would say that night there was about maybe about three hundred to four hundred total who were marching. Okay. Uh, but it was it was cool. There was there was a lot of singing. There was a lot of chants. Uh, a lot of discussion. It was uh, it was enlightening. It was that that's where I walk away somewhat hopeful. Um, you know, it was a a ruckus force for good. Do you recall any of what the, what they were chanting? <sighs> you name it, they were protesting the uh, UVA. Uh, they were chanting Black Lives Matter and white supremacy, uh, protesting the president. Um, all the common themes. Uh, were all addressed. Okay. And so in terms of the counter-protesters, did you, were you aware of exactly what groups were there? Were there, so I, I assume Antifa was there. Like, were they masked up? Did you have any, maybe, black block? Or do you know, or was there Black Lives Matter? Do you know? Some were there. Okay. Some were there. Uh, some were masked up. Um, not as much as I was uh, expecting, but uh, they were there. They were represented. Okay. So I think there was even, like I said, Antifa was at this rally at the Capitol and they had offered the, the guy that I had had on the podcast a few days ago mm-hmm. um, a mask and head covering and so forth. So I was just kind of curious. Yeah, and at the risk of sounding naive, uh, I mean, how does that work? Is the, I mean, do, do legitimate Antifa members get a card or, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to sound cynical. I mean, I mean, to the best of my knowledge, it's just, just a black mask over your face, correct? I think typically they're masked up. A lot of them will have head headgear on. Um, obviously, like I mentioned for Portland, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Situations can get out of control. So a lot of people on the Antifa side, you know, they've got their face covered. They've got a mask on. They've got head coverings. For one, they don't want to be identified necessarily, and mm-hmm. number two, they don't want to catch you know some type of a beating. <laughs> A legit beating if things get physical and, you know, fisticuffs right. thrown or, you know, right. rubber bullets or, you know, if the situation gets out of hand. And obviously, as port- that situ- scenario in Portland displayed, you know, it, it's, you know, it's no laughing matter. It's it's serious out there. Yeah, I saw some of the video clips and uh, I would say Portland was, uh, was a lot more rowdy than uh, Charlottesville one year after. You know, change can be ugly. And I think change is afoot in some manner. Um, it just we'll just have to see what happens. Are you familiar with the uh, the DSA at all? Uh, not as much as I'd like to be. Obviously, Democratic Socialists of America, not a left of center. I definitely left of the Democrats, but not what you would consider. I think real socialists. This is for you know these are push people that are pushing for more of like a Nordic economy or you know there was a there was a rally forgive me for cutting you off but there was a rally a few months ago here i don't remember for what per se but there were members of the dsa in force and i remember them being very well educated doctors lawyers accountants not you know um people who you would frankly assume were conservative um but no they were they were proud dsa supporters frankly, people with deep pockets. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, you were so used to hearing, you know, old rich white guys are conservative and Republican. Uh, no, the DSA here, um, no, they were well-to-do, Anglo, all very well-spoken. And I thought that was interesting. I guess that, that sort of does make sense in the, you know what I mean? Because in that sort of area, because you've also got Chapel Hills right down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got University of North Carolina. Isn't mm-hmm. there? There's a third. Is, what are they? There's the triangle, right? Correct. Uh, NC State uh, is the uh, third one, which no one um, takes seriously. <laughs> <laughs> but still, uh, a fine institution, no doubt. Uh, yes, of of course, of course, uh, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, the main uh, action, if you will, is between Duke and uh, UNC, and UNC just went through some. Uh, Confederate statue removal this past weekend. There was a, uh, a statue 
of Silent Sam, a uh, Confederate, sol Confederate soldier. Uh, people in Durham who have a tendency to knock down Confederate statues knocked <laughs> this one down uh, last weekend. And there was a bit of a ruckus. And um, yeah, we don't, uh, in this part of North Carolina, we don't like our uh, Confederate statues and we do something about it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, I think, don't really, I don't know, there's some type of blinder on when it comes to the Confederacy. You know, this is a this is an organization. This is a group of people that wanted that fought to enslave an entire race of people. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about a systematic institution of slavery that mm -hmm. occurred over you know hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. When you can when you compare that to something that you know a lot of people are more aware of, like yeah, the Nazis and the Holocaust. And I don't want to you know. I guess diminish the impact of that horror but when you mm -hmm. think about it in comparison to what the institution of slavery i think it's a far more egregious set of circumstances than even the holocaust i mean it, and so to put myself in the shoes of an african-american person and seeing you know the confederate flag or a confederate mm -hmm. soldier i mean that's it as bad as being you know a, a jewish person and seeing a statue of a Nazi or the Nazi flag to me, I don't, I don't see a distinction. And there's some kind of weird thing where in the U.S. we really don't look on the Confederacy isn't really reviled. Maybe that's because we're you know in the South, but it's not an institution that's really reviled as much. And you have you know supposedly legitimate people, you know bourgeois people that go out and do the reenactments. And there's no, you know what I mean? There's no sort of, and that's sort of a normal quote-unquote normal thing for people to do but that, you know what I mean doesn't that seem kind of like a little bit weird uh I would say uh frightening um we don't see it in Texas uh but it's all over the place here man the second you go outside the city limits uh there are stars and bars all over the place and it's um alarming how many people uh, uh a surprising amount of people you'll run into do believe the South will rise again. Uh, you know, heritage, not hate, and all that nonsense. But at the end of the day, it was it was a faction of the country that a uh, betrayed the country and b, like you said, wanted to uh, have people as commodity. And uh, I would agree with you. I, uh, they're on par with uh, with Nazis. And I mean, it's even, you know, now I think it's been, you know, they've largely been removed. But when you're thinking about states like, was it Mississippi? And definitely a, there was a handful of states that had the Confederate flag as part of their state flag. And when you think about, uh -huh. you know, that flag is flying above your state capital and you're, you know what I mean? That's just, uh -huh. I don't know, that's a disturbing sort of outlook that people thought uh -huh. it was okay for that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And there's people who still defend that uh, to this day. And But I do think as time marches on, um, I think that faction is dying off. Um, and I think good will prevail eventually. Um, hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's bizarre uh, and a little bit frightening. Back to our Charlottesville discussion. Is, mm -hmm. is there anything that we haven't, is there any kind of Thing that's crystallized in your mind besides what we've already discussed there that you think is of note well frankly i i thought um activists were <sighs> you know quite frankly i was just a little flabbergasted that you know the protesters were protesting but they didn't want their message to get out and so all of a sudden uh, my media comrades and I, that's a poor <laughs> choice of words. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great choice of words. Actually. I love that. <laughs> uh, my media brethren, brethren and I, uh, suddenly the enemy. If I can say, I mean, you know, working in the media, we're not perfect. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, we are. I do love working uh, in news. Every day is an adventure. But there are areas of improvement that we can definitely work on. And... When our president says, you know, that the, the media is your enemy, well, then who's your friend? You know, well, what are the alternatives? True. So, 
I mean, I think so. the the difficulty really is that, and I think a lot of people on the left or in, in the center sort of ignore this, is that, you know, these, there's real, although the the way that it's manifesting itself is is ugly and hateful, but there are real issues that these people are experiencing, right? And that's, there are material circumstances that are causing these people to behave in these ways. And so you have to acknowledge that. Now, their energy is directed, obviously, in the, in the wrong way, right? Mm-hmm. But they're responding to, to changes that are, go, you know what I mean? There are real problems out there that are creating this. It's not just, I don't mm-hmm. think it's all just ideas, you know? I don't have the viewpoint that ideas drive history. I think that material circumstances first mm-hmm. drive history. Not that ideas don't have an impact. But I think that material circumstances occur first, and mm-hmm. then yes, ideas can have can change things, right? Mm-hmm. Something that upsets complacency—that's usually what does it. Um, and, and I think we're seeing an uprising. Hopefully, we'll have something civil, or more civil, I should say, uh, in November. Historically speaking, you know, there's there's all this clamor of a blue wave. Um, but for what it's worth, uh, there never really has been a blue wave, quote-unquote. That said, we never thought Donald Trump would be president. Uh, right. So, <laughs> uh, for those who say, you know, that this mid- these midterms coming up are the most important uh, ever, probably so. Um, if anything, just get out and vote and register to vote. That would probably be the number one thing I'd recommend to... Uh, uh, fight the power right now. But do you think there's even enough seats that are really up for grabs in Republican strongholds or, you know what I mean, in sort of these battleground areas? Because my understanding is there's just not the the way that this midterm is fleshing out. It's where, you know, a lot of seats that are up for grabs are already, you know, Democrats, Democrat incumbents, and there's not really even the opportunity for there to be a blue wave, and that's not even going to the fact that, yeah, like you're saying, whether in, in terms of numbers there's a blue wave, it doesn't really ever work mm-hmm. out that there's a big material difference in the type of legislation we see. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Um, I, but the thing is, you know, we've never had this many people engaged in, in policy before. And so I don't want to discredit any sort of blue wave or anything like that, but, you know, history, historically, even after Vietnam War, um, there never was a blue wave. It, but again, people are angry. They're upset. And for the past 20 years, uh, strong, predictable Republican uh, offices, their wins have slowly been eroded and eroded and eroded. And this will be a good litmus te- litmus English. This will be a good test <laughs> for the Democratic side of things. The Dem- it, recently, the the D- the DNC got rid of uh, there's uh, super delegates, and I think that was an interesting move. It's a step in the right direction for sure. I uh, I would agree. I would agree. Um, but I do think more you know people like Bernie Sanders and. Uh, Alejandro Ocasio I mean there's there's more fervor and there's more attention for democratic socialist candidates and uh, candidates that have uh, quote unquote socialist uh, stances on things and to me that's a bit unprecedented we haven't had that in a long long time that's very true Uh, that's very true uh, I'm glad you brought that up actually uh, so I think that's you know there's just there's more and more conversations, for lack of a better term, regarding such candidates and those policies, and I think there'll be even more and more conversations like that as the future comes closer. Yeah, it definitely seems like years. I think in the '90s, for example, if socialism was a far dirtier word, and maybe even the in, in, in the aughts, maybe less so. You know, obviously, I think around 2008. Mm-hmm. The financial collapse with Occupy, that might mm-hmm. have been when the wind started to shift a bit. But 
nowhere mm-hmm. near as prevalent as it is now mm-hmm. in terms of obviously you know somebody who identifies as you know with the dsa and mm-hmm. ocasio-cortez mm-hmm. i mean that that's heartening but that's still one one individual and then we have one one bernie sanders mm-hmm. and the rest of the democratic party is essentially just to me republican light and it's been this trajectory where, where the democrats have moved farther and farther to the right somebody like clinton and obama they are basically in the center ultimately mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. additionally recently there was oh man i forget her name from fox news who someone compared venezuela to denmark as both being socialist countries that to me that backfired because all of a sudden you have this mass of people researching both and finding out you know what made denmark work what doesn't make venezuela work so you have more people to uh researching uh socialism true and and to me it's it's humorous that they came from fox news of all places (laughs) but i I do think we're gonna have more uh socialism based discussions in our very near future it's interesting though too for i mean when you talk about south america i mean we're so ignorant of our own history and mm-hmm. you know we talk about the russians meddling in our elections here in this particular election but we have supported how many military dictatorships in south oh. america and how many <laughs> elections have we interfered with in colombia um, bolivia argentina <laughs> you know i mean we tra- nicaragua I- iran i mean we tried to put in a shah there was it post World War Two? I believe it was post World War Two, and that didn't work out. And that's another reason why uh, we're at odds because we tried to, you know, put in one of our guys, for lack of a better term, in charge of their in, uh, in charge of their government. So, uh, I, some would say that yeah, this Russian meddling is a taste of our own medicine. My my concern is that you know maybe the current president won't get away with it, but wait till the next guy. Right, yeah, no. wait, wait till there's an actual right-wing populist that actually can speak, <laughs> uh-huh. that, ha- that has charisma, and, uh-huh. you know, is young, and, uh-huh. you know, there's a podcaster that I listen to frequently that says, you know, what if, what if somebody like this was offering Medicare for all? Like, what if there was a Trump-like figure, but that has sort of the racial, the white identity politics angle? but is also speaking to something like, like I said, Medicare for all, or, you know what I mean, some type of national health care program. That's, that's a dangerous combination. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wait till the next guy. <laughs> so, best, best bet is just to be uh, vigilant. Right. At all times. But let's see here. It's, it's been about an hour. I don't want to take up too much of your evening. Do, do you have any, any questions or topics left that you'd kind of like to tackle you have any questions for me or uh, it's good to hear from you brother sincerely i mean looking back on it all um i guess i, I guess i never really appreciated how enlightened you were back <laughs> then i don't know i tried even though i tried to i feel like an um, idiot looking back i was like i was a, i was kind of a psychopath in college <laughs> looking back well you were Jesus. interesting i'll give you that <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know. I wouldn't say psychopath. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. But no, it's good to hear from you. And, yeah, I, like and I think, op- I think open discussion, uh, is vital. I mean, when, when we've lost the ability to talk freely about ideas, uh, then the Republic is, is lost. And, and I'm glad that we're able to meet and discuss some things. Um, hopefully we can do that for a long, long time. Yeah, definitely. And if you happen to know, if you have any connections that you think would be make for interesting guests or would be interested in participating with the podcast, definitely send them my way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll do everything I can to, uh, to help out. Whether it be, um, left, which... whether it be left, right, center, um, you know, I haven't had a lot of conservatives on. I do have one conservative friend that was John Corden's campaign manager that I had on. Really? Yeah, we did. Uh, it was one of my early podcasts, Brendan Steinhauser. 
But he was also active. He was like instrumental in the Tea Party movement. He worked for Freedom Works, which is, it was like a, shit, it might have been a Coke funded group. I can't remember specifically. So more, scho- a more, dare I say, a scholarly conservative. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely somebody, he advocates for free markets and thinks, you know, that that's the way to, uh, to solve our ills, is leave everything up to the market. Obviously, I, I sort of disagree. I think the market can be just as tyrannical as, uh, as some type of central government can. And you have to be on guard for both forms of oppression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there's arguments for and against, but uh, I don't know if a wide-open free market, you know, is the cure for all societal ills. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, don't, I just don't think that's the case. I, I think a lot of the problems we're seeing now are you know, are a result of capitalism. You know what I mean? These issues mm-hmm. that we're experiencing are, mm-hmm. these are the material circumstances that were, you know, this, the material circumstances of capitalism created the society, the breakdown of the family that people are always bitching about. You know, that's, that's capitalism. That's, you know, the marketplace forcing, you know, spouses into work and creating this consumer society and, outsourcing all the jobs and creating, you know, that consumer culture. All of it's tied together. I, yeah, yeah, basically the, uh, the lust for the dollar, uh, the lust for capital gains, you know, for fat bank accounts, you know, one would say it's doing more harm than good. Um... Switching gears, though, if I may pick your brain, oh, absolutely. Uh, the Catholic Church, they've um, really interesting things going on right now, um, calling for the Pope to resign uh, by one uh, archbishop, I believe. Uh, your take on, on the Catholic Church. I mean, I'm sort of a virulent, I mean, I'm not a virulent atheist, but I'm mm-hmm. essentially like... I definitely, I think all religion is just, it's bad, generally. So... I would agree. Obviously, when you have a situation like the cover-ups with the sexual abuse, and they just move these priests or bishops to another parish, I mean, it's, there's ungodly amounts of just horrible circumstances that I've, you know, it's not something that I actively seek out, I'm more sort of involved in, I don't know, I, I don't like to focus on specifics i'm more of a big idea sort of guy and i like to kind of right, focus well, on the, the philosophical aspects of things more than well uh, f- well forgive me i should have rephrased the question from the outside looking in do you think this could be a big dent to the catholic institution or do you think it'll just keep trucking along i mean i just think that the the catholic church for one is just an antiquate it's i don't see it it's got to diminish. I mean, I think overall religion is sort of falling out of favor in most places. Mm-hmm. And I don't think this is, this is helping, even though the new Pope is, is probably one of the most, I guess you would say liberal in history. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm horrified by the sheer number of sexual abuse cases that you hear about and the way mm-hmm. that the, the church is sort of, try to insulate itself and handle these things internally and not really, you know, the people that are perpetuating these acts are not being punished. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's time to reevaluate. Yes. Because to me, the, the cover-up is probably more egregious than the crime. Oh, it's it's insane the amount of how that whole system... And then you got to think, like, how many hundreds of years, thousands of years has this been going on? Mm-hmm. How many more victims are out there right now, still? Right. You know, how many priests are still doing this? Because, I mean, you know there's got to be more. Yeah, because it's like, who wants to come forward and say that the priest, you know, assault, sexually assaulted you? I sure, yeah. I sure as hell, I would not come out. You know, it, it'd have to be years down the road. I'd have to be at a totally different place. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I'm even just speculating that I don't think I would want, I wouldn't want that out, even if I was... Abused. I don't think I would want people to know about it. That's something I keep to myself more than likely. Mm-hmm. Always a pleasure talking to you, sir. And my time in North Carolina is coming to an end. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and I'll be heading back to Texas.
Nice. Uh, once I'm in, yeah, you, you've got to meet the fiance. Uh, you two will jive so well. Nice. Because uh, she is woke as fuck. <laughs> and and I'm learning so much from her. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I put a ring on it. Because she's, man, she is learned. Uh, it's, it's astounding. And, and I would love for the two of y'all to meet. So I propose once I get back to Texas, we have dinner sometime, oh, my friend. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to see you, and congratulations on the engagement. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank uh, you, sir. Thank you, sir. But uh, I'll be back uh, in the Lone Star State uh, sooner rather than later, probably in about a month or two, give or take. Awesome. So we need to get together. Oh, for sure, man. Well, and, you're invited to the, and you're invited to the wedding, by the way. All right. Woo. <laughs> I will show off my two-stepping ability, which is somewhat poor. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. we're gonna have a we're gonna have a variety of music. Okay. Uh, it's gonna be a little bit of everything. Um, yeah, it's gonna be a little bit of everything. But uh, you're certainly invited, and, and it would be great to have you there, my friend. Right on, man. I'd love to be there. I'm looking forward to having you back in the great Wonderful. state of Texas. <laughs> Hell yeah! <Woo>. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, good to hear from you, man. Good talking to you. Right on, man. Well, this is uh, this is podcast. Care of Cooper Cherry signing off. <laughs>